So if you brought your Bibles this morning, please open them to Ephesians chapter 5. And I really do want to encourage you to take the time after our worship service this morning, talk to Christina, find out what's going on, because it is amazing stuff that the Lord is doing. Amen. So we're continuing our study in this incredible letter, Apostle Paul writing to a church in the southwest coast of what we call modern Turkey. And so far we have seen uh, Paul writing about our identity or the Ephesian identity and then us by association uh, status, if you will. We're adopted children, citizens of his kingdom, members of his household, and um, all the while mindful that that status is wholly, de- wholly dependent on a restored relationship that is, is the result of work he has done through his son, the sacrifice of his son, the saving, redemptive work he does in our life, which we celebrated this morning in the communion. And then Paul has moved on to our response, what we should be doing. Um, and he's used the word walk. We've seen that word used again and again in the text. Uh, If you have a more modern translation, it may refer to the manner of living or something, the way we live. But the word Paul uses is walk, to talk about how we should conduct ourselves in light of who we are, living consistently with the identity that we've been given. Uh, He talked in chapter 4 about walking in a manner worthy of our calling. That was verse 1. And then down to verse 17 of that same chapter, he talked about walking uh, in the truth. Not walking in in, in the light of our carnal nature, but in the light of the truth. Uh, Chapter 5, just us last week, we talked about walking in love and how that meant walking in imitation of our God. God is love. He wants us to walk lives that express that. Now, in the same chapter, chapter 5, verse 15, uh, he again uses the word walk, and he implores uh, his readers, the Ephesians and us as well, to walk in a particular way. So that's where we're going to pick it up. Uh, Verse 15 through verse 20. So Paul writes, Therefore be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. So then do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. Lord, we do thank you. that We have the privilege this morning of gathering and sharing the communion elements. They remind us again of the price that was paid and the gift that we've been given in life and wholeness, restored relationship with one another with you, Lord. We thank you for your word, the freedom that we have here to, um, to look to it, read it aloud. Let it penetrate our hearts and minds, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So in this portion of the letter, Paul tells the Ephesians, and by association us, um, to be careful, to be careful, and walk not as the unwise do, but as the wise. The instruction is fairly simple. Um, to walk carefully in wisdom. That's, that's pretty straightforward. The question, of course, becomes exactly what does that mean? What does it mean to walk in wisdom as an expression of what he has done in our lives? And so ciphering that is our task this morning. And we're going to do that by first looking at that expression he uses to 
walk carefully. And the words he actually used are to look carefully. He says, look carefully at how you walk. We'll look at that expression, and then we'll discuss the whole matter of um, wisdom. Now, before we get into the text, I need to say this. Um, this morning is pretty straightforward, right? What follows next week it is not, in that uh, the verses that follow this passage are some of the most controversial in the New Testament. And you get a handful of Christians around and you raise this subject, you will have an animated discussion, I can assure you. One of the reasons that section that we're looking, and don't be reading it now, read it after service when you get home, right? Um, one of the reasons that discussion is so difficult for so many people is it usually is had, the, that discussion is had with no reference at all to what's in front of it. It's like we pull those verses that follow out, we put them on a frame, and we stick them on a wall, like they're floating out there in space, and we neglect that all-important concept of context, right? What is said next, that is so challenging for so many, is set as an extension of what is said here. And it's really not smart, wise, to attempt to understand that until we've laid this foundation. So that's a lot of what we're about this morning in this fairly straightforward passage, is laying a foundation for what we'll talk about next week. So uh, this, this section is, is a really important part of the letter and the discussion that follows after it. So we'll keep that in mind. But that's next week. Uh, as to this morning, let's talk about being really, really careful, watching carefully, how you walk, keeping our eyes open. And that's, a, that's a, a concept we use in English all the time. We talk about watch where you're going, even if we're not talking about physically moving. Uh, watch your step, pay attention. You know, we use all kinds of... We're talking about focus this morning, focus in the Christian walk. And when Paul tells the Ephesian believers to, you know, to watch where they're going, he adds a word to it to emphasize it to heighten the importance of what he's talking about. Some translations actually leave it out because it's difficult to work it in. One particularly good translation of this, this verse um, is Young's literal translation, which probably none of us have read recently. Uh, it was a, an attempt in the 1860s to produce a word-for-word -word translation. It's a good translation, just a little awkward for the modern reader. And he translates um, this verse as, See then exactly how you walk. So that's what we're talking about, looking exactly at the way we walk in such a way that it will be characterized by wisdom. That word exactly, uh, it's, it's one of my favorite words in the language of the New Testament. It's one of those words you learn really quick when, when you're learning Greek. It's the word akrivos. Doesn't that just sound fun? Akrivos. And it's, it's the word you learn in context of learning the language when you're talking to, you know, somebody. And anybody that's spoken, that's learned a foreign language, you know what this moment's all about. You're trying to communicate in the language, you're not getting it, and they're trying all these different ways to accommodate your inability to understand. And then finally, what they're saying starts to get through, and you, you're at that point when you can repeat it back to them correctly. And at that moment, when you repeat it back to them correctly, they will say, Akrivos. You have it exactly. You have the exact concept. Now, this word actually comes into English, and you're probably more familiar with it than you're thinking about, right? It actually comes right into English. Um, Akrivos comes from akro. 
acro. And we all know that word, right? Because we all know not there. Although that, you could use it for that too. Can you bring up the first one, Alex? That one, right? We all know what that's called, right? It's the Acropolis, which is the acro. Polis. Polis means city. The building's actually the Parthenon, but the rock that it sits on, I think we're all familiar with the term the Acropolis, is the high spot, the acro of the city. So we're you know, reasonably familiar with this word. Acro, it means the high spot or the highest point, right? It is in turn based on another word that comes right in English, and this you're probably going to recognize, and that's the word acme. Now you're saying to yourself, where in English have I ever used the word acme? Next picture. <laughs> I knew you'd get that one, right? Remember that one, right? Who doesn't know this one, right? You ever wonder where that name came from? Why all that stuff that he unpacks at Acme? Acme actually, and it means the high point. That's, that's where the root of all these words, right? Um, the word came into English in the 1600s, but it came into the American vocabulary in the 1800s when a lot of companies decided that would be a good name for their company. And if, if you research it, you'll find a lot of companies doing business in the 1800s, uh, up until, you know, Wiley Kelly got a hold of it. Um, and the, the affirmation or the claim was, we're the best. So if you, you know, like our friend here would, if you ordered something from the Acme Gunpowder Company, they were asserting that they were the best gunpowder or whatever, that they paid more attention to making the best product they could than their competitors did. Thank you, Alex. We can get that off there now. So the, the assertion was, if you called your company Acme, that it was the best. You had put the best effort possible into producing the particular product. So what Paul is saying here is that he wants the Ephesians and us, by association, to be more careful, more exact, more particular in watching the way we walk, that our walk would manifest the character of Christ. And there's one more way the word akrivos is used, um, and I'll never forget it. I was working in a kitchen with somebody um, doing something, I don't know what it was, and he handed me a knife, a kitchen knife. And as he did, he said, be careful, you know, Acrivos, it's sharp. And it refers to that very sharp, keen edge that a sharp knife has. It isn't actually the word sharp, but it's reference to the keenness of that edge. So we say keep a sharp eye out. It's not, not that, the concept's not strange to us at all. Paul is saying, I want you to keep a sharp eye out for the way you walk in such a way that it will manifest wisdom. I want you to keep a sharp eye out so that you'll walk as the wise walk. And that's another word that we should be familiar with. The word wise is sophos. The word wisdom is sophia. Yes, what the word means. It means to be wise. And of course, in, in the language of the New Testament, the Greek language, they were all about that word. Yeah, they were all about wisdom. In fact, Paul, even writing to Corinth, as most of you know, uh, wrote this. He said, the Jews need signs and the Greeks seek after wisdom. We preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block to the Greeks' foolishness. So what he's saying is the message of the cross didn't line up with the Greek idea of wisdom, but indeed it is. The message of cross 
is wisdom. And so the believer should walk in that light. So let's talk about this idea, what actually it means. It's one of those words we use, but what does it actually mean? It's a huge word in Scripture, and not just the New Testament. Uh, the word wise and wisdom found more than 300 times in the Old Testament. Of course, books like the book of Proverbs, it's full of it. book of Job, loaded with this pursuit of wisdom. So exactly what is this wisdom? Well, probably the best way, I think, to understand it is to compare it to a word like knowledge. Knowledge is the accumulation of data, of facts, a person that knows a lot. They have a lot of information, right? How many of us know somebody that's got a lot of information in their head, can't make much use of it, right? Their life doesn't... I, I see people, you know, they're slapping one another, right? Like, you're talking about you now. No, that's not what I'm doing. Uh, but there are people out there, there are people out there, who have a lot of knowledge in their head, but they don't know what to do with it, right? Um, Homer, the prophet, not the city, uh, the town, wrote of the wisdom of a carpenter. And what he was referring to was somebody that had all that data, all that knowledge about, about the wood, about the tools, about the circumstances he's worked, has all that. And as to that, the sense of judgment how to bring all that stuff together, all that knowledge together, so that in those circumstances, with the product he has to work with, with the tools that are available, with the project that you're trying to accomplish, you come up with the best result. That's, that's really all wisdom is. It's working in a situation with the material and the information you have to produce the best results, right? The wise carpenter was one who, considering a task and the materials at hand and every other consideration, knew what to do and how to do it. So with all that's been said about wisdom, that's really all it is. Of course, the bigger question is, how do we get it? Knowledge is fairly easy to require. You just, you know, open the book and read. Right? But wisdom's a little more challenging because it requires that all-important component of judgment. Solomon, of course, in the, in the book of Proverbs, he says three different times, get wisdom. Come buy it if you have to, but he didn't tell us how to do it, right? Well, he, actually, he does. He says in verse 10 of chapter 9, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Verse, I think, we probably all know. So we start, the beginning, the foundation of this wisdom Paul is talking about is reverence for God. A holy regard for God. There's a tremendous scripture verse I like. It, it talks about um, having a holy fear of the one with whom we have to do. And you say, well, do what? Do everything. The one we do business with. The one we uh, manage our households with. The ones that we engage in all our relationships with. That holy reverence for his presence in absolutely everything we do. That's not an Old Testament passage. That's in the book of Hebrews, right? You know, I think one of the reasons we as the people of God um, entertain the foolishness that we do and find ourselves, therefore, in situations and circumstances that if we had just thought about it beforehand, isn't that one of the most unpleasant feelings in the world? To find yourself in a really difficult situation, a bad situation, and realize if I had just thought this through before, I might not be here. Or somebody else might not be dealing with their what if I had just kind of thought. I think one of the reasons that we struggle with that so much is because we allow so many things in our lives that should never be there because we weren't looking carefully. We weren't being exacting in, in, our, in, our, in our view. Um, when we were doing stuff, we let society, 
or our own carnal nature instruct us, boy, I mean, we're all guilty of that, when we should be um, looking to the, to the Word of God and the things of the Spirit to instruct us, we can be so casual. See, when we talk about wisdom, it's not so much a matter of being evil as it is being careless. You know, I think we all know if we do evil things, the results will be bad. We expect that. But we don't necessarily show the same degree of caution when it's just a matter of being careful rather than being casual or cavalier. We can be so cavalier about the things of life, especially our spiritual life. We don't stop to think, am I applying just the most basic understandings with what I know of walking with God in this situation? And we take so much for granted, right? We don't stop to ask about virtually anything that we might find ourselves doing. How does God feel about this? What does God say about this? What does the Word of God teach me about? Even the most casual of things. You know, there's a passage of Scripture that always catches me up, you know, stops me in my tracks. The Bible says it's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Doesn't that sound Old Testament to you? It's not. It's right there in the book of Hebrews. So even though we walk redeemed, washed by the precious blood of the Lamb, in full fellowship and, and relationship with the living God, even though we have all the benefits of salvation, the author of Hebrews reminds us it is yet a fearful thing to come casually or carelessly to fall into the hands of the living God. Just because not what we ever intended to be evil, but simply because we got careless, right? So we pray the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Holy is your name. It's a prayer to God, but it's a reminder to ourselves that we recognize we do business with the Holy One, the one who is altogether perfect in his holiness, right? When we worship, gather for worship or your own, own time of worship, our first thought should be to stop and pause. And this is never intended to scare us away. It's intended to draw us near, but to draw us near with the reverence of who God is. Ask ourselves, with whom are we doing? You know, again, Job talks so much about wisdom. Job is a book full of wisdom. But if you ever just thought about the, the expanse of the book of Job, it's in about chapter 3 that Job starts complaining. And by chapter 5, he's full throttle. And except where we have somebody else speaking, like one of Job's friends, from chapter 5 all the way to about like chapter 38, just about everything that comes out of the guy's mouth is a complaint directed at God. God's not paying attention to him. God's not listening to him. God's not giving him a fair shake based on all the good that he's done. It's one complaint about God. And it's really all exercised in this atmosphere that God's not paying attention. The whole assumption of like everything that comes out of Job's mouth is that God's not paying attention. He's not listening. And then in chapter 38, he finds out how wrong he was. And when God finally does speak up, which he's been asking God to do the whole time, and he's been complaining because God hasn't been saying anything, what does God say? Who is this that darkens counsel? 
with words without wisdom. What is this voice I hear running at the mouth? Contributing nothing to the discussion but his ignorance, right? Not what Job was thinking he wanted to hear. Not what he was expecting. Oh, you had been paying attention all 33 chapters. I have been running at the mouth. God, you've been listening to all of it. And what is Job's response? I put my hand over my mouth. Oh, shut up now. It's the realization of two things. Number one, God indeed is the Holy One. And number two, he's been listening the whole time. You know, we, we like the idea that we're never truly alone, right? Do we? <laughs> there are some times I kind of wish God wasn't there, but he is. He's always there. He's always listening, right? The moment Job figures out that he not only has had God's attention, but he presently has it, he moves in a heartbeat from complaint to repentance, which is exactly what we need to do, right? So wisdom starts with remembering with whom we have to do, right? Well, how does that look in practice? Well, that's where Paul goes immediately after this in this chapter. That's what he's talking about the rest of the chapter. So he says, be careful how you walk, not as the unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. The first thing the smart person does is they don't waste their assets, he says, right? It's kind of the same idea that Jesus was talking about in the parable of the talents. You know, the, the master gives the servants so these assets, resources, talents, and then he goes. And the point of the parable is they don't know when he's coming back. And so the point of the parable is Jesus warning them about time. Well, Paul's applying the same concept here, but it's not about the time. It's about the assets. And the way I understand what, he, what he's talking about here, just imagine, you know, you're standing before God and God gives you a magic money bag. Only instead of money, it's got time in it. Time is in this bag. And time is represented by the coins in the bag. You've got these coins in this bag. And he says, this is your bag of time. Now, you have some things to do in life that I've put you on this planet for, and you have all this time to do it. The magic quality of this bag is you can't see in it. So you don't know how many coins are there. And the bag is weightless. You can't tell how much is in there by its weight. The only way you'll know what's in there is a day will come when you'll put your hand in the bag and there's no more there. You're done how differently we might walk if we live with that kind of reality every day, that we only have so much. We would probably spend it a little more carefully. That's Paul's point. Spend your day, your time, this time you've been given on this earth, because the baseline assumption that Paul is making here is that you will have eternity to contemplate what you did with the time you were given here. And if that isn't a sobering thought, I don't know what is. We will have eternity to deal with how we spent the limited amount of time we have here. And I'm speaking of sobriety. Paul goes on to say, um, he says, do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation. But be filled with the Spirit. This is not a commentary on whether or not Christians should consume alcohol. This, is not, this passage is not addressing that question. We can address that somewhere else. What he is saying here is, 
do not waste your time. And he's using drunkenness as a classic example in the human condition where time is wasted. How many can do anything productive when we're intoxicated? You can't. Well, I would suggest by association, we could infer more than one kind of intoxication. Anything which dulls our senses, attracts our attention away from what we should be paying attention to, which is serving him in the time that we have, is the exact opposite of wisdom. And that's what the word means. It's the exact opposite of wisdom. To let anything, even something that's perfectly good in and of itself, a hobby that we enjoy, if we find it drawing away from this intent focus we should have on what God has called us to do, that is as much dissipation, frankly, as the guy laying in the gutter. Wisdom takes, keeps us from that. Wisdom says don't, don't go there, right? Be careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of your time. The days are evil. Do not be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I should back up and talk about that just for a second, um, especially when we're young. We spend a lot of time contemplating the will of God. What is the will of God for my life, right? will of God is I should be a missionary to wherever, or I should do this or do that. We think, you know, we get so consumed with the big picture of God's will. Scripture says the will of God is our sanctification. That's where it starts. Today, walking today with a regard for his holiness and his immediacy in my life. That's understanding the will of the Lord. It starts there. Understanding and holding him in the reverent place that he deserves. Don't get drunk with wine, that's dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. Speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, um, that doesn't necessarily mean we're always walking around singing, or that every word coming out of our mouth has to be exact quotation of Scripture. I know people like that, they're annoying. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that, right? What it means is let our, con- our speech, our expression, be characterized by that which edifies, which will usually lead us to, if not quoting scripture, at least saying things that are biblical in their their meaning, right? And yes, singing is important. Um, Pastor Joyce and I, you know, we deal with a lot of stuff during the day. And usually by the time we're both, like, at the end of our day, we're pretty well cooked, And I can just tell you by experience, there is nothing that helps us put a quiet, peaceful end to our day like listening to just plain, good, godly music. It it brings a quietness and a wholeness to the soul that nothing else will. I like all kinds of music, but I'm careful how I end my day. I'm careful to end our day. We're careful to end our day with stuff that draws us to the person and character of God is a reminder of whom we do business. Singing or speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Singing, making melody with your heart to the Lord. I love that word melody, right? Because it always involves at least two people, right? That, that harmony that is created when we are in agreement with one another is so much a part of walking in wisdom. And isolation for any of us in any expression is not healthy. It doesn't take us in a wise direction. We are so dependent on one another. Always giving thanks in all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. When we think deliberately, carefully, exactly through our day 
about what we're here to do, what we've been given, the many gifts we've been given in life, in our relationships, in salvation, it inevitably should lead us to a place of thanksgiving. And if it doesn't, if your day is coming to an end and, you, and you're having a hard time getting to a place of thanksgiving, go back and think through the day again. Deliberately focusing not on all the challenges, but on all the, all the things we've been given, right? Understanding God's will. That's his will for us. Let me close with this. Um, I really think um, the reason that that fellow handed me the knife and saying, but it was sexy, be careful. It's sharp. I think the reason that resonated with me so much thinking about this subject is sharpening a knife isn't that difficult. You know, there's a few basic techniques you have to know. Um, it's not, it's not, it doesn't require an incredible amount of skill. But one thing it does require, and anybody that sharpens knives knows this, you can't do it casually. As simple as it is, and it's really simple, you have to pay extremely close attention to what you're doing. Because one misstep, you can wipe out an edge. Right? It requires our attention. And that's really all Paul is saying here, is as we go through life, pay attention. Father, I thank you for your word, Lord. And a lot of times, Father, we come to your word and we expect it to be complicated or we expect it to be um, so challenging we can't possibly do it. And we, okay, well, we'll rely on Jesus. Father, this is really so simple. And yes, it still means we have to rely on the Lord. It still means we rely on the presence of your spirit because we need help, even in something this simple. That as we go through life, Father, as we seek to walk in wisdom, making sound judgments, Sound decisions, Father, just even in the smallest things we do, Lord. Help us, Lord, to do so with a very careful eye, Lord, a keen, exacting eye, as to do it in a manner that is consistent with who you are and who we are in you. Father, if we can just do that, life's going to be so much better. Help us, we pray to that end, in Jesus' name. Let's stand and worship the Lord this morning.